0: a little more leaves later on in the hour but I just uh you know much like Darko uh wants to just start off every day with an affirmation of Scotty Barnes and how wonderful that he is and you and I ended the last hour that way but we'll we'll start there again Scotty Barnes quite wonderful I'd like to do that as well with Austin Matthews just uh you know ho-hum ho-hum Hattie throw in another apple last night put the team on his back him and Jordan Bean leading the Leafs to a win uh, again we'll have plenty more Leafs later on in the show but uh I don't really feel it's right to start any segment today without talking about how good Matthews was uh, last night. What's going to be good? Another weekend of football. It's not. It's not super wild card weekend. It's it's simply the NFL's divisional <laughs> round. You know, yeah, boring. Oh, yeah. hum. Uh, this is an exciting one. I mean, obviously, Chiefs Bills is the game kind of most on everybody's docket. If I remove that one from the equation, which is the most uh, enticing to you, Jesse?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I, I'd probably have to go uh, Niners, Packers. Mm, interesting. That's that's uh, that's third for me. I go Texans,
0: Ravens, uh, followed Chiefs, Bills, and then Niners, Packers. Sorry, Lions, box, You were yeah. a pretty clear
1: fourth to me. Yeah, I mean, the box throws a wrench in that one a little bit, although they shouldn't be discounted because no. they clearly, you know, are better than people give them credit for. But
0: Better than the Eagles for, I mean, who knows what that's worth right yeah. now. But
1: I, I just, I'm curious to see really, like, Packers dismantling of the Cowboys was so thorough mm-hmm. that it, it took me a little bit by surprise. Like I know Jordan Love had an outstanding second half to the mm-hmm. season and he's growing up before our eyes, but they went into Dallas, a team that hadn't lost at home since week one of 2022, Crazy. a team that almost everybody thought and I thought was a, a guarantee slam dunk to move mm-hmm. on to the divisional round. You forgot was, they're the Cowboys. Yeah, I forgot they're the Cowboys. And now I just wonder, like, yes, it's a more difficult opponent in theory in the mm-hmm. San Francisco 49ers, but how good are the Packers really? Are they the 9-8 and eight or 10-8 and eight team from uh, the regular season? Mm-hmm. Or now 10-8. and eight. Um, or I'm are so they- mad they added yeah. that extra yeah. game and screwed up the <laughs> yeah. math I've had in my head for exactly. 30 years. Exactly. Or are they sort of just an upstart that took advantage of a, a Dallas team that choked that things were clearly wrong right from the get-go and, and to me that's why that one is is probably the most enticing after Bill's chiefs
0: yeah I think the you know not that we get to experience the game in this way but I you know uh, they do this in like the college football championships with the coaches cast or you get like a Manning cast I would love to watch Jordan Love. Like, I would love to watch the 49ers play defense with Kyle Shanahan. Because mm-hmm. when he talked about how halfway through, um, nice shot at the Cowboys, by the way, that halfway through the second quarter he started Amazing. working on the on the Packers, he did give them the fig leaf of, well, Dalvin scored late, though. So I, I worked on them a little <laughs> bit in halftime. Okay, uh, somehow that feels worse. But I'm so curious to see how he watches that Packers offense. And, you know, obviously they have defensive coordinators there. He's not the guy necessarily scheming it up in the same way. But yeah. we always think... Think of it as a defensive coach versus an offensive. But I look at it as Kyle Shanahan's best play caller in the game he's the guy who you know we all have grown to appreciate Brock Purdy a little more but he's the guy who was able to script an offense for Brock Purdy to slowly get him comfortable enough to him being what he is now that's the thing that I'm so interested in is how does Kyle Shanahan look at what Jordan Love and the Packers do because you know that's been arguably the best offense in in football not necessarily as explosive as we think of a Dolphins team or you know a Chiefs team from a couple of years ago or that 49ers team quite frankly but in terms of Taking care of the ball and not making mistakes—they've just been so strong in that regard. So yeah, I'm really curious for that one, especially to see how how kind of Shanahan and, and the 49ers deal with Love because it's always interesting when you have a young quarterback. Uh, in terms of the Texans Ravens game, you want to talk about young quarterback C.J. Oh. Stroud story of uh, uh of the season. It, it kind of feels like you know it's funny we had Charles on a lot and we'd talk about it throughout the year and he he'd have the odd Texans game. We'd say, well, you know, not the game of the week, and more times than not, it would end up being the game of the week just because of what C.J. Stroud was able to do. Uh, This game is ripe for storylines on either side. If the Texans are able to pull it off, we have the uh, the leaderist of leader of men in C.J. Stroud. Or you can look at it from Lamar Jackson's perspective. There, Uh, big time storylines to be had in that game for sure.
1: I think C.J. Stroud is quickly becoming my favorite player in the National Football League. Love that. Like he is just from the moment he's taken his first snap. In the NFL, the guy is poised, confident yeah. beyond his ears. He doesn't throw interceptions. I thought when Tank Dell got injured, they were going to have – much more difficulty moving the ball down the field. He answered those questions in incredible fashion last week. And, and I just wonder, like, what's the ceiling for this guy? I know yeah. he's just a rookie, but if you were to watch him, there's nothing rookie about him. So why can't he go on some sort of magical run? And, and to think that it's a, a first-year quarterback with a first-year head coach in D'Amico Ryans, like, how can you not? love what the Texans are doing. They just have become a lovable team Mm -hmm. to watch. And yeah, they're going up against a juggernaut in Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. But the Ravens don't exactly have this like flawless postseason record. They've Mm -hmm. had really good teams before that have flamed out in the postseason. So it's not completely crazy that Stroud would be able to do something significant here. But you know, the Ravens, Pretty, pretty yeah. good team during the regular season.
0: Yeah, it's a, the beautiful thing about playing with house money, which uh, the Texans certainly are. I think it was Michael Jordan who said it best about C.J. Stroud that uh, the ceiling is the roof. I still don't know yes. what he meant by that, but I think I know what he was getting at. <laughs> uh, somebody who we love, love to uh, chat with, teeing up the games every weekend, our pal Charles Davis joining us now. Charles, how you doing this morning? Do we have Charles? Got the thumbs up. Hello. Here. Oh, there we go. We got you, Charles. How are you doing? Okay, great. I'm doing great. I hope
2: you bo- you both are doing well. In addition,
0: yeah, we're uh, you know we're saying it's uh, it's another weekend of, of NFL football uh, playoff football at that. So how can you be uh, uh, unexcited? Uh, you know. <laughs> We all know what the game of the week is. Uh, we're we're looking at Bills and Chiefs. We uh, we haven't talked about that one yet. We wanted to save uh, the start of that conversation for, for you. Uh, that, that game, uh, you know, it's one team, the Chiefs, that kind of seemed to find their way a little bit last week. It's a team in the Bills that have been rolling for the better part of two months now. Uh, what's your read on, on that one heading into the Sunday Nighter?
2: Yeah, it's everything that you said. I do think that Kansas City is the absolute opposite of what we're used to seeing. <laughs> I mean, it's their defense has been the best part of their game all year long, even though Patrick Mahomes is the face of the franchise. But I do think that he played some of the best quarterbacks that he played in his career, and I'm not. this is not hyperbole, against Miami. Conditions, what was needed from him that night, how the game played out, he played that game like a veteran quarterback is supposed to play it. And, yeah, they could have scored more points. They cost themselves a few times. But all in all, he was magnificent. Now, flip it over. Josh Allen, oh, my. That's the Josh Allen that we all love to watch play. That's the Josh Allen that if you don't have a dog in the fight, you just sit back in awe and go, oh, yeah, that's right. 25-mile-an-hour winds, ha, watch this arm. Oh, do you me to run the football, I sure will, and no, it was not a fake. He just froze him with a great move, motor on, and then he was in the end zone. And by the way, did the ball get turned over? No, didn't put it in harm's way. So when you have Josh Allen playing that way, look out, okay? I talked to the former head coach in the NFL just the other day, and I said to him, when Josh Allen is having a game like he had against Miami at Miami to finish the season, remember three turnovers, yet he was 30 of 38 for, for, for a couple of touchdowns and, and just was the man down the stretch. I said, what do you do? Like, if you're, if you're coaching him, and this guy's an offensive coach, he said you want to choke him out in the first half, and in the second half you just hand him a game ball. He said, I'm going to lean on that big horse every time. And if he throws three, <laughs> if he throws three interceptions – I tell my defense, then you got to go get the ball back a fourth time because we're riding this horse all the way in. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's, there's no question. The headline in this game is Mahomes and Allen, but you, you mentioned defense and the chiefs defense, uh, maybe not getting enough attention. Um, they've allowed 20 or fewer points in six straight games. And there's this belief out there that while the offense might not be clicking uh, to the best of the chiefs ability, their defense looks yeah. really, really good. And on the bill side of things, they've been banged up all year long and a couple more injuries last week to add to the equation. So when you evaluate, not just the, you know, the game as a whole, but these two defenses, like which, which one do you think gives their team a better shot here?
2: That's such a tough one because Jesse, tradition quote-unquote the last five years you would immediately say the Bills Mm -hmm. like no ifs ands or buts it it would be the Bills because they're built on that but the way that the Chiefs have played throughout this season and it comes down to very simply and I heard you talk about CJ Stroud before I came on you know when you're the number two pick in the draft yes he's playing at a super high level but the surprise is less because he's the number two pick in the draft but Brock Purdy was doing similar things, and the surprise was because he's Mr. Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So flip it around here, the Kansas City defense is supposed to only be able to play with a 14 nothing lead. So they can't really be the team. They can't be the side of the ball that carries your team, can they? You know, it's hard for people to get with that, right? But that's how it's been this year. Right now I would lean on Kansas City's defense a little bit more, especially because of the injuries that Buffalo is trying to play around Okay, you've got a starting corner, Benford, it may not go. Your whole linebacker core got wiped out in the last game, and that's where Travis Kelsey likes to ply his craft, right mm-hmm. in the middle of the field. The beauty is you've got two safeties at Hyde and Poyer who can handle the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And where is Kansas City hurting on offense? Out on the perimeter at wide receiver. The only one is dependable is Rasheed Rice. So if you're going to have injuries out on the perimeter, it's only one guy truly to contend with on a down in, down out basis, the rest of the guys aren't really your concern. So it actually helps Buffalo that where Kansas City is oriented in on offense this year is minimized by the injuries that Buffalo has on defense. It's a very weird deal, isn't it? Yeah. That, that their strength, their strength actually can cover some of their, their their troubles because Kansas City may not be able to take advantage of it like you would think.
0: Yeah, it's just funny the way it works out, right? Last year they got the safeties banged up towards the tail end of the year, and it, it, it kind of yeah. killed them, right? And it's it's just funny the, the yeah. way luck plays a part in all this, and you know, obviously it's more than luck, but so you got to be you got to be lucky sure. to be good for sure. Uh, I think it's safe to say no quarterback has more on the line this weekend. Then Lamar Jackson, I mean, we just talked about Allen and Mahomes. I don't think you're going to kill either one of them for losing to the other. You know, Brock Purdy, yeah, the 49ers are big-time favorites, but he's still Brock Purdy to to a lot of people. Lamar yeah. Jackson feels far and away the guy with the the most at, at stake this week.
2: It's, it's a great point. Um, you go back to 2019 when he was the unanimous MVP, which they all used to be by voting. I had to keep remembering that, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, since they've changed the voting rules a little bit different. But all that being said, he was clearly the MVP of the league. He did things we hadn't seen, et cetera, et cetera. They had the open week. And remember, they rested the last week of the season. So essentially, they took two weeks before they played again, and they were flat, and Tennessee came in and got them. And as you pointed out before I came on, his record, their record is not Sterling in the playoffs. You would think it would be better considering how good they are as a team. So, yes, a ton of pressure on him, a ton of pressure on the Ravens to be that team. I think that they're approaching it a little bit differently than they have in the past. We shall see. What's been interesting is listening to San Francisco. I'm going to bring them into the conversation. Why? Because they have the open week as well, the number one team. I talked with someone yesterday that says that San Francisco spent this week working more like full-speed stuff, actually going in full pads. Mm. Not being stupid about it, but actually trying to simulate much more of, hey, if you had played this week, this is what it would be like. And it reminded me of Pat Riley, the head coach of the Lakers back in the 80s. They had like 11 days off before the finals started. He actually took the team away like a training camp, and they had full-speed scrimmages to keep themselves sharp so that they wouldn't be stale because we've seen it, whether it's hockey, basketball, whatever. If you're sitting there waiting – the team coming in looks tired and beat up from going to a seven-game series, and they win game one because they're used to playing. They've been out there. You're a little bit rusty, and, and you're a step behind. The Lakers tried to eliminate that. They won their series, won a, national, won a uh, world title. Here we go with the – I shouldn't say world because that's just that's kind of crazy. There's a lot of other people in the world. But they won an, an NBA, they, won an, they won an NBA title. Here's what the 49ers are trying to do. They're trying to shake that rust before they play it would be interesting to find out what Baltimore has been doing in preparation, and I'll guarantee it's different than what they did in 2019. But I'm going to throw one more other guy at you. I know you said Josh Allen, if he loses, no one's going. This is Buffalo's shot. Mm -hmm. They've been begging for this shot for how many years now? Hey, the last five times we've played you, Kansas City, it's been in Kansas City. Some of it's been playoffs, and that's earned, right, based on record. But just the schedule makers quirks and sent them to Kansas City in the regular season. Buffalo wants to look at Kansas City and say, you're not so tough when you're not in KC, are you? Come on up to high mark and let's see how this works out. So there is a little added pressure there because we look at Buffalo. This is your shot. You have a team that's good enough to get this done. And has Kansas City ever been more vulnerable? Yeah. I don't think so. This this is your time to go get them. And you better get it done on Sunday.
1: Yeah, it feels like the Bills are certainly peaking at the right time, and the Chiefs have never truly looked comfortable at any point this season. Uh, you know who does look comfortable, sure. though, as you brought in the 49ers into the conversation? It's the Green Bay Packers. Brent just asked me uh, what game, yeah. other than the Bills and Chiefs, that I'm looking forward to the most. And I said the 49ers and Packers just because I, I couldn't believe how thoroughly the Packers beat down the Cowboys. And, yeah, are the, were the Cowboys flawed? Do they have some maybe poor coaching decisions? But it was really right from the opening snap CD that they just dominated them through and through. And when I look at their recommitment to the running game and Aaron Jones having uh, just over 450 rushing yards over the the team's four game winning streak and the, the emergence of Jordan love over the second half of the season. I know the 49ers, like you said, had a big week of practice. But the Packers, I think, are ripe to once again surprise some people just because the, while people look at the Cowboys collapse, you got to give the Packers a ton of credit for how they went in there, a team that never loses at home, and absolutely dominated them.
2: They certainly did, and I heard one of those weird stats after the game that since they built that beautiful palace of a stadium in Arlington, Texas, the Packers have never lost there. <laughs> I think they're like 6-0. <laughs> it started one of the weird. One of those... Right, <laughs> it starts snowing just for Green Bay, right? Yeah. Hey, let's celebrate your victory, right? <laughs> I know we're in Arlington, Texas, but my God, we're going to snow here today. No, it's 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 a great one, and I heard again before I came on, Brent. I think you said House Money, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and the packer and the Packers are in that spot again. And I talked to someone in San Francisco yesterday, and they were talking about you know, the start that Green Bay needed to have in this game. And they were like, I think they need a fast start. They need to get out in front, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, that would be nice. I said, really what Green Bay needs, in my opinion, is just to keep the game even, keep the game in doubt. Because then the pressure shifts to the better team. You haven't blown them away. You haven't taken control of the game. You don't have it in hand. We're supposed to have baseball caps on here, folks. (laughs) Why are we still battling with this team? And if Green Bay just does that, if we come out of the first quarter and it's somewhat even, if we get to the half, we get into the third quarter and it's in doubt, let's see if San Francisco handles that and doesn't tighten up and all those other things that go along with it. To me, that's going to be the key to the game. Sure, Green Bay gets out fast, catches a flyer out of the gate, terrific, you know, make them chase you. But if it's even as we start the fourth quarter, let's see if Brock Purdy and the 49ers handle it. I think they're equipped to but we got to find out if they are and if they can. And that'll be a fun one to watch, guys.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, right? Because I think we've all come a long way and you know, maybe some of us had less far to go than others on what Brock Purdy is, but I also think that if it's, you know, it's one possession left and it's him versus Jordan Love, I don't know. I could just as easily see Jordan Love kind of coming out on the on the yeah. upper hand of things there. Uh the one game we haven't touched on yet. Buccaneers and Lions. Hey, hey real quick. Hey, yeah, real, yeah. Hey, real quick before you get the Buccaneers Lions. Yeah. Let's just put Jordan Love into quick perspective right now. Yes, okay? please.
2: I think that people—I think people are too harsh on Brock Purdy because he was the Mister Irrelevant, and I said it on air in a ball game a few weeks ago. <laughs> we quote-unquote experts are really slow to give Brock credit. Why? Because we all said he wasn't very good. Yep. <laughs> okay, we all said he was a seven, we all said he was a seventh round pick. I'm talking about us who 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 evaluate, do the draft. Mm-hmm. Scouts, people of that nature, right? So so we keep waiting for him to crash so we can go, see, I told you he wasn't very good. It's not going to happen. He's a good football player. All right. That's part of the issue. Let's put Jordan Love in the quick perspective. Since week 11, so now we're talking nine games counting the playoffs, 21 touchdowns, one interception, <sighs> the team seven and two. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Because I saw him in person at Pittsburgh this year. In a game that they lost, a close loss to Pittsburgh, a tight defensive battle. He played well, but I think it's a combination of him continuing to get better and offensive line finally you know, solidifying enough to, to help out and help the run game, as you pointed out. And these receivers that no one knows – are making plays. They got it done against Dallas without Christian Watson doing a heck of a lot, and he's their number one receiver. All right, I'll move
0: on. No, no, that that's all very good, and I'm happy you, you added the context there. I don't think anyone's going to go as far as to say Detroit's playing with house money, just specifically because of who no. they're playing, but... It's hard to feel like there would be any type of letdown after last week. I mean, we've seen this movie before, whatever sport it is you care about, (laughs) of the downtrodden franchise, and they have their breakthrough, and then the next round of the playoffs, and the next game doesn't go so well. I I think if there's any coach set up to not allow that to happen, it feels like Dan Campbell is that guy. What's your read on that game?
2: Agreed, and just the fact that this team has not had that kind of success And you have a quarterback who has been there. Okay, think about the NFC now, quarterbacks. The only quarterback who's been deep in the playoffs is is Jared Goff. That's left. (laughs) All right, think about that. Jared Goff's been to the Super Bowl. Okay? Purdy, right? Tampa with Mayfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, who else is left? You know, whoever else is left in the NFC. I keep forgetting now about getting hit in the head too many times. (laughs) Anyway, these, (laughs) these guys... These guys have not been there. The AFC is where all the quarterbacks are, where all the power is, right? The NFC is kind of like question mark, question mark, question mark. And one of the biggest ones is Goff just because the Rams got rid of him, yet he made the winning play to get them over the top in the last game. I think your point is well taken. The city is fired up, but Dan Campbell as the head coach, and this is where the beauty kicks in. He and Todd Bowles were both very good NFL players. Mm. They weren't stars. But they were very good, integral parts of their team. They understand playoff football. Bulls won world champ, uh, excuse me, uh, NFL championships with Washington. All right. Dan Campbell was a starter and a key player for a number of teams. They get it. So the coaches now are in charge of how you handle the playoffs, much more so than most of the quarterbacks, except for Goff, who has been to the Super Bowl and knows how to get there. I think that Detroit's going to be fine in this game. They're not going to tighten up. They're not going to go, oh, we're the favorite now. Look out. I think your point is well taken in this one. But Tampa will play them tough. Don't don't kid yourselves on this one. This is not like the regular season when Detroit dominated them. This is a different Tampa team. But I do think Detroit's the better team. And I fully expect the Lions to be in the NFC championship game.
0: Yeah, honestly, Dan Campbell might have those guys convinced they lost last week somehow. He's such a master uh, <laughs> uh, motivator. Uh, Charles, always, always love getting you on. Enjoy the games this weekend. Uh, can't wait to chat with you next week.
2: I look forward to it. And by the way, real quick, yeah. Sheldon Keith, that meeting that he had, obviously it worked. Got him a win last night against Calgary. Time for those guys to pick it up, and let's get John Tavares going, okay, guys?
0: There it is. And your man, Austin <laughs> Matthews, with a hat trick last night. <laughs> there he goes. Charles Davis, our man. Love it. Love it. Love it. He always Maybe. gives us a little. He always gives us oh, a little that's there. that's so good. Uh, absolutely, absolutely love that. Uh, so much good stuff from from Charles there. Uh, I could pick at all of it, but I have to do my quarterback confidence rankings. We're never going to do it any other time. So, again, no, I, I hate to move on so quickly when Charles gives us so much good info, but uh just go listen to Charles. He's right about everything. I'm not going to sit here and quibble with any of it. So, quarterback confidence rankings. I kind of did this in in some tiers, and I think they're pretty straightforward, but I want you to to quibble if if necessary. So, we'll start at the top. Uh this this category is called Super Stud. It's a one man tier. Okay. It, Patrick Mahomes resides at the top there. Yeah. I don't think there's any argument yeah. with that. The next tier is called Show Me. I am Show a Show me. I am a believer. I just would like to see it or see it again. This tier is two people. It's Lamar Jackson and it's Josh Allen. Mm. I I could sit here and quibble. I probably have a little more faith in Allen just because I just watched it last week. But I don't know. I feel like Lamar Jackson could have done that against the Steelers as well. So I kind of have them grouped together. The next group I have is, okay, but how good are you? This is also two quarterbacks deep. I love the titles. This is Brock Purdy and Jared Goff. Okay. That's maybe a little unfair to Jared Goff. Maybe he could be in the show me category, but I also don't think of Jared Goff in the same planet as Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Then we got the young studs, pretty self-explanatory. Stroud and Love, and then I just have Baker as
1: the wild <laughs> so as the unfair. wild card. Yeah. So are you raking them? I know you said you confidence yeah, rankings.
0: That's that's the order. I would say you give me Mahomes. I feel better about him than anybody else. If you remove Mahomes from the equation, I'll take Allen or Lamar, and we can sit here and have the debate. I probably will go Josh Allen, but if you want to tell me you go Lamar, I don't think that's crazy at all. And then after that, I'm going Purdy or Goff. Then Stroud or Love, just because I haven't seen it. Maybe you'd put Love above Purdy or Goff. That's the one thing I was kind of unsure about
1: there. Yeah, I don't really have any quibbles with with any of that, uh, other than if you throw out the titles Mm -hmm. in terms of QB confidence ratings. Like, I might have Stroud higher than Really? Like, I might have him... I did it on my own and I, I said that he could be ahead of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. And and I'm only saying that from a confidence perspective in terms of his ability to take care of the football. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's playing with any pressure. I think pressure factors in with both Allen and Lamar Jackson. And this isn't, you're, this isn't a you – know, I'm not looking at the overall team confidence. No, no, for sure. And it doesn't have anything to do with you know his, his defense or players around him or whatever. But if we're talking about strictly quarterback confidence, the ability to make the right decision in the right time, mm-hmm. I, I think Stroud could be right after Mahomes. In wow. The, like, that's, that's how much – I've watched him a ton this season, and I just don't see situations where the guy makes the incorrect decision. And when you evaluate – Josh Allen's career, like the one major He's issue, has been, times, yeah. he, he, and that's what you get. And sometimes, you know, people will say, "Oh, that's that comes with, you know, the risk taking. Yeah, like, yeah. That's how he plays quarterback, and you can't get the good Josh Allen without the bad Josh Allen." Yeah, but C.J. Stroud manages to do it without mm-hmm. turning the ball over all that much. And then Lamar Jackson, you look at his prior postseason yeah. experience. There have been games where. As a passer, he's had a lot of a, a few games where he's had a lower than sixty percent completion rate. Hasn't been great when it's really mattered. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that I would put, I would bump Stroud up a bit there. But I mean, man, aside from Baker, and it's so unfair to Baker because he has mm-hmm. such a good performance against yeah, the Eagles and he's, he's looked really really good. Like, what a group of quarterbacks. Yeah, I,
0: actually, awesome. the more I think about it, I and this is unfair to him. But it's the exact opposite of what we talk about with the team. It's like, I actually, if I'm going to really, you know, and I was having like a little too much fun with the categories, I think I probably have it. I'm not quite where you're at on Stroud, but I think I would go Mahomes, then Allen Jackson again, two, three. I'd probably go Allen, then Jackson, but either or. Then I would go Goff, then Stroud, then Love, then Purdy, then Baker. I still think that honestly it's, I, sh- I really should not make so much of one play, but Jared Goff ripping that ball on second and nine or whatever it was last week to get them the first down and lock it up. That was just such a nails play. And not that CJ Stroud hasn't made a million of those, but Jared Goff's just done it just a little bit more. And you know, it's funny with, with track record about things, right? Because CJ Stroud, we haven't seen him do it. it work a- for you or against well, you. Well, right. Yeah. Because we sit here and say <laughs> yeah. Lamar Jackson only has one career playoff win. Uh trivia question for you. How many playoff wins does CJ Stroud have? He has one, one. But, but he doesn't have the losses exactly. and he's perfect, right? Exactly. But the idea of the sexy new thing, and are we feeling completely different about this? I don't know that even a Stroud lays an egg. We feel differently yeah, about it because we saw fun. it in yeah. the first element. So, yeah, I uh, I can't wait. Bill's chiefs is obviously the highlight of this, but three other really interesting games, you know, there's no way they're all going to end up being close and good. I think, you know, I I think it's most likely that lions is probably the blowout there uh, of all the games, but yeah, just, it's going to be another awesome, awesome weekend of football.
1: Also, what does it say about Patrick Mahomes that we both have him number one, irrespective of the fact that he at many times throughout this season, their offense has looked brutal. Well,
0: and part of it's been on him. Like we've done the thing all year. We go, ah, Kelsey's banged up or he's busy. Or it, whatever. He's busy That's <laughs> just me. That's just me thinking that. that but, you know, we've done that where yeah. it's like, oh, Kelsey's banged up. He's not quite the same guy. They got rid of all their skill guys. Pacheco has been nice, but it's not necessarily the pass-catching weapon you want. Mahomes has had stretches where he struggled this season, but it's track record, right? I don't think anybody expects totally. him not to find a way to figure it out. And it's funny because I've actually positioned myself as not the anti-Mahomes guy on this show, but I just get so irked when people immediately refer to him as like this era's is Brady or it's going to happen. It might happen. Just, you know, call me when he has six more Super Bowls. That's all. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. He's got, a, he's got a ways to go.
0: But They're- you're right. It, it, it is. I think it is twofold. I think part of it is what Patrick Mahomes has proven and what he's done. But I also think that given the version of him, we saw this year, if just to pick a guy, Joe Burrow was healthy and was in the playoffs given what I've seen out of Mahomes, there's a world where I easily could have had Burrow as number one. Now, Burrow was banged up, and it wasn't the year for him, but I also don't think Mahomes has been... I think part of it is the track record. Part of it is what he's accomplished, but also part of it is that as much as we like... Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, there are definitely question marks about those guys as well. So it's the lack of a, you know, the manning to, to Tom Brady in that era, right? There hasn't been that guy. It's been Burrow who's kind of pushed him in that regard. Everybody loves Herbert, but he's never won a game that matters mm-hmm. in his life. You know, Trevor Lawrence, everyone tells me he's so great. Okay, maybe one day. <laughs> I think that's the other part of it is that all the guys right below Mahomes have a... Yeah, fatal flaws, too, but an obvious flaw where you yeah. can point to and say, turn over the ball too much, can't win in the playoff, yada, yada, yada. And I just go back to the old era, the the era before of Brady. And, you know, Manning, you could – I would never do it. I'm a Brady guy through and through. But you can make the argument for Manning. It's really hard to make the argument, especially this season, for anybody else because no one is really – and Lamar Jackson's going to go win the MVP. I hope he wins this weekend so we can start putting him on that level. But yeah. until he does it, it's hard to do.
1: Yeah, look, there's, there's a lot of people in this market that are probably listening to the show that are going to be anti-Chiefs this weekend because they're Hand Bills up, fans, right here. But it's pretty remarkable, I find, how unlikable the Chiefs have become. <laughs> like, even go back to last year. Do like, you think that I like the Chiefs? Yeah. Like you I, think they're unlikable now? I, you think I, I do think the, they're unlikable. I don't. I don't necessarily. I won't think say it's the, the whole
0: name, but do you think it's the T Swift? I don't.
1: Effect? I don't think so. I think it's more so the whining mm. when they don't get calls and they get a ton of calls from the refs <sighs> and it's that sort of thing. Like it wears on you. as Thank a God, sports he,
0: fan. I forget what it was, but there was that. Oh, was it was it was against the Bills when yeah. Patrick Mahomes crying to Josh Allen about the calls he didn't exactly. get. exactly that, that was,
1: sort of stuff. He yes. walked it back so yes.
0: quickly. But if he didn't, you're right. I think that would have been a big time uh, turning point there.
1: Yeah, it all sort of it's like th- th- for the longest time, it was like, Oh, Mahomes is so great, he's amazing, and mm-hmm. all the oxygen was sucked up by how incredible this guy was. But now it's starting to shift in terms of you know, I don't know if how much the Taylor Swift thing actually matters, but they they whine a lot, mm-hmm. and that specific incident. I think, was a turning point in people saying, look, they, they get all the calls, and this mm-hmm. guy's still yeah. complaining after the fact to Josh Allen. Quit your crying. Yeah, and it's good that he walked it back, but still, I think uh, that scarves. I'm actually really there.
0: happy you reminded me about that. I forgot about yeah. that. Now I want the Bills to Even whoop yeah. the Chiefs uh, <laughs> th- this alone. weekend. Speaking of whooping, it's going to be some of that in town this weekend. Dudes are punching each other in the face and grappling. Guess what? It's say, okay because it's part of UFC. You can catch it on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Plus. Our man, Aaron Bronstetter, our new man. Uh, UFC reporter, very, very happy to have him in the fold. He'll join us next, get you set for Fight Night in the City. Fan morning show with Gunning and Rubinoff on Sportsnet, nine of the Fan.
2: Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Running Jesse Rubinoff here. Walking, moonwalking into, into a Friday. Got a big Leafs weekend coming up. Uh, hard for Austin Matthews to have a bigger night than he did. Although, if he wants to at least match the feet, would take it. I would very much uh, sign up for that. It certainly would help the Leafs fortunes as they got Vancouver and the Kraken on the weekend. Back to back, entirely possible. We see Ilya Samsonov and... That's that's just a terrifying propositions. So we'll just we'll just move on from that. We'll talk to Corey Schneider about that in a, in a few moments time. Uh, also, I've kind of uh, I won't say buried the lead, but I probably should have mentioned this earlier on in the show. Bang. Why did I say that? Because Mike Breeden's going to come on the show uh, later today. One of the best. Thanks. You can, you know, we could sit here and we all have our favorite guys for, you know, different sports. Like we're lucky with Cuthbert and hockey and Bob Cole forever. But uh, close your eyes and think basketball. No doubt. Mike Breen's voice pretty, pretty high uh, up, on, up on that list. Uh, when you think of UFC, Toronto, not necessarily the first market that comes to mind. But it definitely has been a market that's uh, held its share of marquee fights uh, back in town this weekend. Very, very happy to welcome in our our next guest. And uh, well, not that new to the company, but new ish. So uh, happy to talk to him for the first time, Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, How are you doing this morning?
3: I'm good, man. I thought you were going to say when you think of the UFC, the first thing you think of is Aaron on Broadway. I was going to think of <laughs> a great compliment, but no, I went in another direction with it. Now I'm disappointed.
0: Uh, it's okay. I mean, I got to be honest. I am who I am and I'm the age I am. When I think of UFC and I close my eyes, I think of Chuck Liddell. That's just <laughs> to put in, in perspective where my mind goes on these things. So, uh, you know, do with that what you will. Maybe maybe uh, after the conversation today, uh, you'll be the first name that, that comes to mind. Uh, so just talk about the excitement. Fight night back in town. Been a while since we've had this here uh, you know, we talk about Toronto all the time. It's a it's a Leafs town, but it's a big event town. We love a fight night. We love a big event. Uh, what does it feel like to have the kind of buzz of a fight back in the city?
3: Well, I think that was apparent yesterday at the press conference. You know, I've been to a lot of these press conferences in my time covering this sport, and I can't remember one where the energy was as high as it was yesterday. Wow. Uh, it just seemed like everybody... It's been five-plus years since the UFC's been in Toronto, and... The city was acting like it's been five plus years since veto you know, he's been to Toronto the hunger is certainly there. People were buying tickets to the press like the, the tickets for the press conference were free <laughs> an hour beforehand they were all gone because it was at the Winter Garden theater which doesn't have as much of a capacity as say an arena and people were buying like scalp tickets that people had received an hour <laughs> prior for like 60 bucks to go and sit at a press conference which I mean as people in the media we know that press conferences are you know well half for us. To see people pay money, like up to $100 for tickets to go and sit and watch people talk for 45 minutes, minutes—that's pretty much explains what the energy is like in the city right now, what the hunger's like.
1: Yeah, yesterday certainly seemed like a circus, and I mean, the main event, frankly, could be a circus uh, on Saturday night as well. Like, these two guys... They're pretty good at trash talking, obviously we know what Sean Strickland is all about, but they had that altercation at UFC uh, 296, so these guys are, are, have already gone to blows uh, before they even get into the octagon with each other, but they clearly have uh, sort of a disdain for each other. I don't know how much that's worked up for, for the event to sell more uh, pay-per-views, but nonetheless it feels like these are two guys that could openly go toe-to-toe with each other. Uh, are we going to be in store for a, what could be an epic middleweight uh, title bout here?
3: Yeah, you know, you just never know. I mean, Drake has has not really been in any fights that haven't been exciting. You know, he's a volume fighter, he's an awkward fighter, and he's a a really great finisher. So, you know, he's somebody that I think, um, you know, we've kind of gotten used to watching him in in great fights. And then Sean Strickland, he's a little bit more of a technical fighter, um, somebody who, tends to go to a decision and, and tries to, like, kind of out-technique other fighters. We have seen them get finishes in the past, but um, I, I think that it's going to be more likely an exciting fight than a fight that goes five rounds and it's kind of slow pace. So I think in all likelihood it will be one of the more exciting fights on the card. I, I expect it to be. I think it's a really great matchup
0: yeah it'll be obviously we you know we, we take a good fight for sure but you want an exciting one and i think that kind of brings in more of the kind of general eyeballs and you know people who maybe hear about it after the fact that it kind of draws them in you know just in terms of where ufc is as a whole you know we see this all the time in combat sports where there are stars that pop up and then you go through a vacuum after the fact i mean uh not to say that the ufc is is hurting for stars right now
3: Please no. take the board. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just talking. So all good. No, no,
0: no, 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 in our no all good. I was just, I, I was wondering if I got hacked into my brain there. Uh, no, just okay. saying the idea of, you know, stars go through this. LeBron's going to retire and the NBA is going to look for the new guy to carry the mantle there. Where is the UFC right now in terms of kind of star power and, and the people who they're using to, to sell this sport?
3: Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that right now they are in something of a transitional period where they're trying to figure out who that next star is going to be. And, um, uh, I think we're going to get a Conor McGregor fight this year. He's one of the big stars. We've seen the offense of Israel Adesanya, but he he recently lost the title, so it seems like his career is a little bit on the downside. And then we've got a guy like Sean O'Malley, who's a young champion that I think uh, has a a lot of upside in terms of star power and and star potential. So um, I think that those are some of the the names right now that that we're going to look at and see what happens this year. And we've got a lot of exciting prospects right now in the middleweight division. There's a guy named Bo Nickel, who... It probably has as good of uh, wrestling credentials as you could have coming into the UFC. You know, if not for being in the same division as a guy named David Taylor, who's like a generational amateur wrestler, I think you know that guy could have an Olympic gold medal by now. And he's just been wiping the floor with people in the UFC so far. He's uh, someone to watch. We've got a guy named uh, Shafkat Rachmanov from Kazakhstan who's been uh, absolutely coming to his own in the last couple of years. Comes a as well in the middleweight division. Another guy that. Has had a lot of hype around him. So I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of new stars get built in 2024 in particular.
0: You mentioned McGregor there, and you know, obviously his his you know his ability in the ring is what draws eyeballs to him, but his ability with his lips is what what kind of kept them on him, at least in in my opinion. How important is that aspect of it? Like when the UFC is looking to mint a new star, is it still what they do in in the octagon that matters the most, or is it that a guy can you know you mentioned O'Malley there? He's a guy who's had a bit of crossover, uh, definitely because of the way I mean he looks, the fact that he runs his gums. That fight in Boston, it just kind of all worked out very very well for him. But what is it? Do you think that allows a star to, you know, someone like you, someone who cares about fights, they're gonna, you know, appreciate someone who's technically sound. But do you think it has to be a kind of full-rounded figure to be truly kind of a crossover star? And unfortunately, the stuff outside of the ring matters more than the stuff inside the octagon. Well, for me,
3: it's always been two things that make a star. One is the it factor, and there's something, something you can't really, in, you know fabricate you can't pretend to be something you're not and i think that there are certain fighters that have that kind of it factor that that draws people to them that i think is number one and then number two is just winning like i don't think you can be that big of a star in the sport you're obviously going to have a ceiling if you're not able to win the important fights and I, that's what made conor mcgregor is when it was time to win the important fight he was able to do that in addition to bringing that brash and and larger than life personality to the sport. That formula, I think, is the formula that so few people have managed to put together uh, in the UFC. You mentioned Chuck Liddell at the beginning of this interview, and he's one of those guys <laughs> that I think will be able to do that as well. So, you know, I think that those are the two things that you really need in order to have that sort of breakthrough mainstream success.
1: I watched your sit-down with uh, Duplessis earlier this week, and I thought you asked him a fascinating question. Like, and it goes to what uh, Brent just asked you. Like, Strickland, I think you know, he obviously he he talks a lot. I don't think Duplessis talks quite as much. But when you talk about getting into the actual ring, you asked Duplessis, you say, you know, Strickland doesn't seem like he cares as much. Like, this is the pressure isn't on him when it gets into the ring. And then with Duplacy, he views himself as someone who could eventually be among the greatest to ever do it. Is that something that if Duplessis wins this fight against Sean Strickland, is that something that's actually within the realm of, of possibility with his career? Like, he is, is he going to take off like a, a meteor if if this, in fact, it, it proves to go his way on Saturday night?
3: Yeah, Desi, I'm not sure about takes off like a meteor because I think that you, you still need to win more fights beyond that. But, of course, once you're a champion in the UFC, that's obviously the, the best jumping-off point that you can have for building that kind of a career. And I, I like the focus of he's not to mention he's 29 years old. You know, at 185 pounds, you still have six years left mm-hmm. before you kind of hit a wall, even more probably a middleweight. So I think he certainly has the time. I think that he has the size to move up to light heavyweight eventually and, and try to become a two-division champion. And he's got the well-rounded skills to be able to do it. So I think from a skill standpoint, he has it. He's somebody who is very, very well-rounded. He's an awkward fighter. He's got knockout power. He has the ability to finish on the ground. He's got all of those intangibles that you need in order to be a great fighter from a, a fighting standpoint, you know, from a skill standpoint. So that's where I think we're going to see 2 C really shine is I think that he can hang with just about anybody, but you still need to win the big fight. That's right. what his success will be this weekend.
0: Yeah, it'll uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see. And again, uh, you know, always exciting. Uh, it's exciting anytime you have a big card, but it being back here, uh, do you think this is kind of a return? I don't want, I don't mean a return to form, but do you think this is maybe a uh, a return to seeing kind of more events in Toronto? Obviously there was always the GSP hook here and not to say there aren't more Canadians coming. You're seeing it this week, but do you think that this will, uh, and obviously COVID kind of threw everything off here, but do you think this sees a return to Toronto being a, you know, a quasi-regular stop for, for UFC?
3: Yeah, but COVID certainly is the reason why the UFC hasn't been here in over five years. I think we're going to see the UFC come back every other year. I think we'll mm. see Toronto, and then like the next year we'll see Edmonton, Calgary, mm. Vancouver, maybe Montreal. Some of the bigger cities host a pay-per-view, and then the year after, it'll come back to Toronto. That, that's what I would project. But given what the gate is expected to be, which is over like almost $11 million Canadian for a gate for this event, and you, you see the vibe in the city... Maybe they come back again next year because they know that it's hot. This car on paper is not the best car. Mm. Far from it. But the the fan engagement and the excitement in the city, I think, might convince the UFC to perhaps come back again next year and, and continue the momentum of... UFC in
0: Toronto yeah cash is king hard to uh hard to argue with a sellout and hard to argue when you can kind of charge whatever you want and you're still selling the place out uh Bronstetter absolutely love this interview with you uh welcome to the fold uh, really really love having you on the team here
3: hey thank you guys always appreciate uh, you having me on and uh hopefully we can make this uh, a regular appointment
0: going forward yeah, there, there he is, uh, Aaron Bronstetter, uh, Sportsnet's UFC MMA reporter there. And uh I'll let you know, Sportsnet now is once again the home of the UFC. You can check out today's UFC 297 weigh-ins. That's at 5 p.m. And tomorrow's UFC 297 prelim fights starts at 8 p.m. As well as the post-fight press conference on Sportsnet. Plus, the main card is available on pay-per-view, which you can order now through Rogers. Can't wait! Yeah, exciting, exciting to have fight, fight night uh, back in the city. I am, I'm never gonna sit here and, and cosplay as a uh, combat <laughs> sports guy, but I'm a sucker. This is what I miss. And this is where I feel like MMA has has let me down. And, you know, boxing to a certain extent as well is I am a sucker for a big fight. I remember there was a day where it was the Kentucky Derby and then, I don't know, maybe it was Canelo, but I feel like it was Mayweather and Pacquiao. It's like horse racing and a big boxing fight. Let's go back to the 1930s. A lot of stuff wasn't good then, but horse racing and boxing were. And I am just such a sucker for a big fight. Stars that can draw me in. And like I said, it just seems like there hasn't been that be it in boxing. And, you know, I know the boxing nerds are going to tell me, no, you should be excited about triple G. I'm not sorry. And UFC hasn't had that guy that's been able to suck me in either. And I would kill for one of them to be able to do it. Uh, so yeah, exciting. that It's back in the city for sure.
1: Though. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, the UFC, like you know, most combat sports is they're always on the lookout for the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I brought up, uh, the question about Duplessis and him wanting to be, he said literally the best to ever do it. And, that seems to me like, I don't know if he necessarily has the pull. you know, Strickland has sort of uh-huh. become like the, the, the people's champion in a lot of ways. And I wonder if the, the selling is there for Duplessis, but it seems like his ability is definitely there. Like, yeah, I watch, um, I've seen a lot of his fights. I watch uh-huh. most of the, the major events and this is a guy that actually is, is pretty serious. Like you heard Bronsetter talk about it. This guy's awkward. He's got crazy power. And Strickland's the champ for a reason. So it's going to be a good one uh, tomorrow night. I'm expecting fireworks for sure. I
0: will say awkward, not often a great sales pitch, but if you're telling me it's a guy who fights for a living, I'm very, very (laughs) here for it. Uh, Now time for the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. The Leafs did it. They held on to a lead last night. It appeared like they weren't going to, but they did. Uh, The question we have heading into that game uh, on Saturday night against the Canucks is can they make it two in a row last time these two teams played each other it was right before the Leafs went to Sweden yes it was that long ago it was arguably the most galvanizing game this team has had you had two guys taking instigator penalties Giordano and Domi getting in fights in the per- first period uh, Leafs have been a bit of a roller coaster team since the Canucks they really haven't slowed down it felt like they haven't lost a game since that one uh, at times this year uh, I think your read on it has to be looking at the Canucks as favorites rightfully so this is the confounding thing. About about this lease team though Jesse is that the better the team is the more you expect out of them and the worse the team is you know a trap game is always scary the Canucks are going to be far far from a trap game uh, for this team on Saturday night
1: yeah I mean they're gonna have to rise to the occasion against a team that just continues to get it done seven two and one in their last 10 I mean what you when you looked at the Canucks a year ago you really wondered like why aren't they better? Like, they have really good players. Mm-hmm. Elias Pettersson's yep. there. Quinn Hughes is having a Norris Trophy campaign. Uh, JT Miller's had a complete bounce back year. And finally, under Rick Talkett, they've really figured it out. And the Leafs are going to need to rise to the occasion. I think they obviously expect a ton of goals to be scored as well because mm-hmm. both offenses are, are, are humming. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough challenge for the Leafs. Leafs Leafs have been home dogs on the, or sorry,
0: road dogs four times this year. The first one of those they lost was in Edmonton on Tuesday night. So uh, if the Canucks are favored there, definitely something to keep tabs on. Uh, That is the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Speaking of those Leafs, we're going to talk about them when we continue. Corey Schneider going to join us. Again, obviously pretty fitting guest uh, with us heading out to Vancouver there in terms of the Leafs road trip. But also guys guy has been keeping tabs on the Leafs. And, you know, I think he might have a thing to say about goaltending or two. And that's certainly been a question mark for the Leafs at various times this season, including what they do with Ilya Samsonov. We'll talk to Corey Schneider about all that and more. We got one hour left on the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet of The Fan.